0: Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake, joined as always by Gabby Urrutia. We got some recruiting news uh, to get into here on the front end of the show. And then primarily after we get through that, we're gonna have a mailbag style of podcast. We asked our subscribers on the message board At InsideTheU.com to shoot us questions, whether it's having to do with the team, with camp, essentially wrapping up, and or recruiting questions. Uh, I think we got some good ones here, and we'll do our best to work our way through it all, uh, touch on all the questions as quickly as we can. But first, Gabby, let's get into recruiting news, and let's start with the most recent news, and it's good news. Uh, It's 2026 wide receiver out of American Heritage Plantation, Malachi Tony commits to the Hurricanes again. He's twenty twenty six, so he is now going to be a sophomore this season. Uh, but he is—he's a big deal, I think, for his recruiting class. Again, it's very very early, and uh, trajectories and developments can can uh, go a lot of different ways during the course of a high school career. But he was a highly productive, true freshman for American Heritage this past season over 600 yards uh you know advanced for his age too in terms of the little wide receiver technique things he can do on the field already at his age Gabby I think this is a big commitment even though it is 2026 still a long ways to go before Mr. Tony signs uh but I do think it, it's a nice solid commitment and and generally I'm against these super early commitments Because chances are you're just going to have to deal with decommitments. But this is the one case where it's like, okay, you can't you can't tell Malachi Tony no if he wants to jump on board this early.
1: Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. And again, he's a super talented kid. And let's remember that's a a, that was an American Heritage offense that featured, uh, you know, five star wide receiver Brandon Innes, who, of course, signed with Ohio State running back Mark Fletcher. Um, You know, definitely plenty of talent there. And he was still highly, highly productive, Uh, really like first game of first or second game of his freshman season went on ESPN Uh, in a game against Los Alamitos, which featured USC quarterback signee Malachi Nelson and uh, Malachi Tony Balt. I mean, he had a touchdown in that game, a really nice like over the shoulder catch. And then he had a really funny interview um, with the ESPN crew that kind of went viral a little bit. Um, so, you know, this is a guy with a, with a, with a bunch of personality, um, you know, already a super productive, uh, pass catcher here, you know, in South Florida, again, like you said, just a sophomore, but that offer sheet is, is really impressive. you look at some of the schools, I mean, Texas A&M. Georgia Auburn, Florida State, Ohio State, Alabama, Tennessee Michigan are are, are just a few of the schools who are, who extended an early offer to Malachi Tony and uh yeah I think this is one of those deals that you just kind of do it again. I mean they had him on campus a ton this offseason. uh he camped for them at the end of July, you know, just when they did that little, Thing there with the commits and things like that so i mean they've seen plenty of malachi tony uh not again not the biggest guy i mean we we have him listed at at 5'9 165 pounds i think that's about right uh we'll see how much he kind of continues to grow but you know i think this could be a potential like you know slot type of guy and if he gets a little bit bigger maybe he can do a little bit of both at the next level
0: yeah credit to wide receivers coach kevin beard for getting a commitment from another top local wide receiver that's that's why Kevin Beard was hired, and he's he's pulling that off. Uh, and, and also, too, I think it's big from the American Heritage Pipeline standpoint. You mentioned Mark Fletcher, uh, you know, Malachi Tony being a part of his offense last year. Mark Fletcher, of course, on the Hurricanes now, and Damari Brown on the Hurricanes now as true freshman. Honestly, pushing for starting roles, going to have big roles here. Um, And so it is important to keep that uh, American Heritage pipeline flowing next let's go to bad news uh on the recruiting trail that happened over the weekend gabby we were monitoring it closely uh miami was probably in the top three maybe second at the end of the day for five-star defensive lineman and franklin uh who hails from the state of mississippi he he chose ended up choosing Ole miss uh on decision day on saturday and that's a it's a tough blow for Miami, disappointing blow uh, for the Hurricanes because they had uh, hosted them a ton unofficially on unofficial visits here uh, during 2023, I believe five times, maybe four unofficials and five or one official to make the fifth visit. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Gabby, my take on this is, look, both things can be true. Number one, extremely disappointing because he was one of your top, top, top targets at defensive tackle this cycle. And we know how important that position is for Miami in this class. So that can be true. I think it can also be true that recruiting these type of guys, you know, in the Southeast uh, can get a little strange. And I think it's fair to say for most of the cycle, Camarion Franklin was telling a lot of the schools that were recruiting him that he was not very interested at all in Ole Miss. And that proved to not be the case when he was making his decision.
1: Yeah, I mean that—that's that, exactly. I mean that—that's exactly what he relayed. Was you know Ole Miss was probably fourth, you know, really at best in in all this and whatever. I mean, it it, it kind of is what it is. Miami, you know, put a lot of time, a lot of legwork into recruiting Camarion Franklin. Uh, you know, with the honestly, kind of the the intention, the really the perception for I would say for like ninety percent of the process. Uh, that Tennessee was kind of the school that they were chasing I remember the day that he kind of came and worked out I think it was his maybe his head coach and maybe his head coach's wife that came down with him I, I'm not I don't know for sure um, <clears throat> and I think uh, you know I think like I remember Cody Woodall the tight ends coach who was probably a primary recruiter in Cam Franklin uh, turned to turned to his wife and said something along the lines of I don't know what she asked him or maybe it was to go to the restroom or something like that. And he was like, as long as you discount the Tennessee volunteers right now and, uh, you know, just kind of joking, you know, things like that. And like, so I think Miami was chasing Tennessee and then at the very end it became Auburn um, and Ole Miss was like not at any point brought up to me, you know, just from the from the overall you know, perspective of Camp Franklin, it was always Tennessee. And then I guess kind of Auburn there at the end. And then he stayed home. And I, I think like, you know, to your point, David, I think this is just one of those things that could the one of those types of things that happen when you recruit that region. And, you know, I, the, the people didn't get to hear this, but, you know, as we were, you know, recording, um, you know, you brought up the point about the Mississippi uh, the, the place that Mississippi kids typically go since that 2014 cycle. And I think only one, uh, left the ACC, and that was Cam Akers in that twenty seventeen cycle. SEC. Yeah, that to leave the SEC to not stay to not play in the SEC. Um and, you know, so it was it was always gonna be a it was always gonna be a what they called a different move. It would have to be a different move for Cam to choose to play at Miami. Um and you know again he ended up at Ole Miss and that kind of took everyone by surprise and I, I think just really kind of created a lot of just like okay, what went wrong here and what did we miss? Yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, here we are. You know, just got to kind of keep chipping away at the next one.
0: Yeah. In general, look, there's no second place in recruiting. That's just not how it works, unfortunately. It's uh, all or nothing. And but I do like that they don't shy away from going after these type of guys, even though history suggests that you shouldn't. Uh, that's not how Mario Cristobal's wired on the recruiting trail, and he's going to win. You know one or two of these battles every couple years that he shouldn't win. And uh, they got very close to Kimary and Franklin to win in that battle. And, and you know, as we know, the cycle isn't over. Let's see how the season plays out. Maybe Miami can circle back around. Um, hurricanes, there's a couple of other targets that are going to commit here on Saturday, this Saturday. Uh, five-star defensive tackle David Stone out of ING Academy and four-star safety Zaquan Patterson out of Shamanan madonna Prep. Let's start with the five-star prospect, David Stone. Gabby, this has always kind of been viewed as a Oklahoma-Miami battle, uh, yeah. with Oklahoma kind of viewed as the team to beat. I do think Miami is within striking distance here. Uh, that's just me and, and my sense. I guess, how do you kind of view this? recruitment here with we're recording this now on Wednesday morning. So still a couple days left to go. And, uh, where, where do you feel like things stand with Miami and David stone?
1: Yeah. You know, last I checked in, you know, I, I do think that there's just still feel that, uh, Oklahoma still kind of that team to, to beat. And, you know, Oklahoma has been long, 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 really over the course of his entire process has been considered the team, you know, to beat. And, you know i mean i think going to img and kind of you know ex- extending those you know branches and just kind of getting out of uh you know the state of oklahoma and you know exploring other options has kind of broadened his kind of scope of schools and i think that's given miami an opportunity to to be a part of this to be a real part of this process and I think, you know, you kind of hear everything he says about the family. I think all of that stuff is, you know, extremely legitimate. I mean, the the, fa- the family absolutely loves Miami. Uh, you know, I think they are constantly in communication with Miami. Um, and, and like you said, you know, I do think Miami is kind of like, you know, within striking distance. But I think that there's still more to overcome if, if it means beating the Sooners here. And uh, you know, I still feel like they're kind of in that process of, you know, definitely not in a comfort comfortable place. Um, but, you know, willing to kind of, you know, kind of grind this thing out to the end. But, you know, currently my feel right now is that, you know, he's gonna that he follows through with that Oklahoma commitment. And, you know, I think Miami's gonna work extremely hard to get him off of that.
0: Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Uh again, there's no second place in recruiting, but Miami's done everything they can do in this David stone recruitment. Like you said, they got the family on board NIL is not a factor in terms of, you know, Miami's coming to the table with a lesser package. That's not something that's happening here in the David stone recruitment. So they're doing everything they can. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out on Saturday. How about Zayquan Patterson? Uh, seems like legitimate FSU buzz here, uh, for Mr. Patterson, uh, one of the top safeties in the country. My take on this, Gabby, with Zaquan is, you know, just viewing things from afar, it did seem like both Zaquan and Miami never really meshed here in terms of like 2023, in terms of this calendar year. Uh, you know, Zayquan's been around a little bit here and there, but there's never been that strong presence of him taking trips down to Coral Gables and and popping in on unofficial visits uh, for whatever reason. Um, and so, you know, with, with Saquon set to announce here before the start of his regular season, to me, that always seemed like kind of an uphill battle for Miami to close out. I think Miami needed a longer runway here with Saquon Patterson, if they were going to pull that off. Um, and, and it does seem like Florida state has all the buzz here.
1: Yeah, I think Florida State has a lot of juice in this recruitment, and and you know I I agree. Uh, you know to to an extent, and uh, you know just that. The fact, I mean Miami did get him around enough, where you know I do think that they should have been able to kind of sell him on the program. Um, you know he's been around even as he was young. you know again outside of the twenty twenty three calendar, he's been around since. Uh, you know since he was younger too, and I think Miami's just been recruiting him for a very 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 long time. Um, so I think it would be a a, a disappointing loss. I, I mean, there's no way to sugarcoat that sure. Um, you know, it, it would be, it would be a blow. And, you know, especially kind of looking from a depth chart standpoint, like, you know, it seems like Zayquan Patterson could be one of those, you know, potential impact freshmen, Um. you know, if you were to pick Miami, but I do think Florida state has a lot of juice right now. And, you know, going into the announcement, I don't think there's any crystal balls from what I've seen, but uh, you know, I, de- I definitely think internally uh, Florida state's kind of viewed as, 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 as a team to beat potentially, you know?
0: Yeah. That'd be a, a nice pickup for Florida state. And again, I just kind of view it as like Zaquan's never seemed like all in on Miami. Just, yeah. That's been my I, perception.
1: I, I, I definitely, I mean, I think he's, you know, taken longer trips to like Michigan and even Ohio state, Auburn, like all those types of things. Like I do agree that he's never just done that. Like, I'm going to spend the next two days at a Miami spring practice and, you know, kind of right. see everything. Like, I don't even I'm not even sure if he went to a spring practice, just like, you know, while the recruiting was kind of open and stuff like that. Like I, I don't remember seeing him there. I think I remember he was at camp, he was on campus maybe just after spring football for an unofficial visit. And again, that was like a one day thing. I know he came during one of those, um, you know, he came a little bit later during one of those spring recruiting visits. I think it was like a later in the day, like he kind of showed up in the afternoon um on a day where they had like David Stone and all those guys, but like didn't even like, you know, watch practice that morning or anything like that. So um yeah, I mean I I think to an extent, you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily seem like Zaquan has been like, you know, fully like totally all in. But I do think that there were points um, you know, of the cycle where Miami felt like they were very, very in that recruitment. And you know, I think even especially this summer, uh, you know, I think there are times that Miami felt like they were very, very in that recruitment. And I think this Florida State you know, when the Florida state kind of started emerging, I think it, it, you know, I think I honestly, truthfully caught some people uh, off guard, you know, kind of by surprise that, that, that Florida state was that far along in, um, you know, in that process. Cause I think a lot of people thought Michigan or Auburn, you know, kind of when this announcement day was being floated around and then Florida state kind of emerging as, as the team was just like, you know, I think it, it definitely was a, you know, wake up call of sorts.
0: Yeah. So Florida state's recruiting well. And, uh, you know, we'll see how this recruitment plays out. All right, let's, um, let's take a quick break here, and then we will jump into the mailbag portion of this episode. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way.
1: Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer
0: education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698. Or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances.
1: This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked-up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at midwaysports.com.
0: The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Star is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Star knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy.
1: If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Star directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate
0: $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our canes, call or text star today at 561-573-4661. All right, Gabby. First question comes from Champ Lennox, who wants to keep it positive. So I appreciate this question. Uh, Champ Lennox asks, what are three things each of you are looking forward to this season? Let's hear some positivity. So I'll let you have the floor first, Gabby.
1: Yeah, three things I'm looking forward to seeing this season. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, definitely an improved passing attack, you know, looking forward to seeing, you know, this offense kind of go back to, you know, maybe, uh, you know, what I feel like it it's done best, you know, just in recent years. And that's just kind of, you know, implementing, you know, this more open style of offense where, you know, again, with a quarterback who we know has the potential to spray it around. And, uh, you know, be fun. Uh, So I'm looking, I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, just what we're going to see from, you know, really just the offensive approach. And, you know, the optimism that I think it's going to be more productive, not saying it's going to be elite, but, you know, just significantly better, hopefully, than it was a year ago. Um, I'm looking forward to honestly just like watching just the offensive line. I mean, I think this is going to be like probably the best Miami offensive line in like my adult life. And uh look, I think it No, I think uh, you know, this is a. Uh, th- like I know Mario Cristobal and these guys want to kind of build it in the trenches and I'm honestly excited to kind of see like a version of what they kind of want it to look like long, t- you know, just again from a right. from the developmental standpoint of just recruiting these guys, building it up to look a certain way. And I think because you went out and you got Matt Lee and JV and Cohen, you get a kind of idea of, you know, you know, you know, height, weight, uh, you know. Strength that it's supposed to look like. So really excited to see. uh Really excited to see. uh You know what? What that? How the offensive line works. And then, I think just another thing I'm excited to just, just really just see this season is just some, you know, some cool opponents kind of coming to Hard Rock Stadium. And I don't know if that's kind of me being cop like it's cop out. It's not really a team yeah. answer, but I'm really I'm really that's excited cool. to like like Texas A&M is coming into town. Like, I think that's really sure. awesome. Um, I'm really excited that, you know, Clemson's rolling into town. I think that's going to be two really cool. Like, you know, Hard Rock Stadium obviously is never, is not always, uh, you know, the best, you know, home field advantage and envi- environment. Uh, but when, when, when going to a U.M. football game is kind of like the thing to do and Texas, a- for that Texas A&M weekend, going to Miami game will be the kind of the thing to do that Clemson game going to the Miami game will be the thing to do. I mean, I, I'm really excited to kind of consume those two environments and, you know, hopefully these guys kind of answer the door and, and, you know, you know, do something awesome for, for the hometown crowd, especially in that week two Texas a game with an early opportunity. So uh, those are just a few things, you know, just that I, I think I'm, I'm excited to kind of see, you know, here in this fall.
0: Yeah. I like those three things. So the three things I wrote down, There's some similarities, right? So I just said generally, I think the offensive system is going to be fun for the fans. Uh, You know, I think we're going to see, it's going to remind a lot of fans of the Rhett Lashley offense. Uh, But I do think the run game systems that are incorporated are uh, better. You know, I think it's fair to say Rhett Lashley's run game was pretty basic, um, which it is by design, right? They want to go more tempo, tempo, tempo. Whereas this, this system is more huddle. Um, but I do think there's gonna be more creativity in the run game tracks that are that are taken, uh along with some pin and pull looks, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh then I also listed strong offensive line play. Agree with you there, you know. Uh I think good offensive line play is now going to be the norm at Miami, and this is kind of the starting point of that norm. Uh and I think the fans and even us, right? We're going to really have an understanding about the difference good offensive line play makes for a team in general. Um, I think it's going to elevate the offense. Uh, You know, There's a lot of the same personnel outside of the offensive line, and I think that same personnel is going to be able to produce a lot better. Number one, because I think the system is a better match for the personnel, but number two, just the offensive line is going to allow the passing game to develop uh, with the time that they give to the quarterback, and also they're going to open holes that the running backs just simply won't be able to miss. Um, and, and those are two areas that weren't there on a consistent basis last year. Number three, I'm going with uh, Ruben Bain. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I don't remember a true freshman defender that has generated this type of buzz yeah. in a long time. Um, maybe like Shaq Quarterman back in 2016. Uh, but I think Ruben, I think the buzz surrounding Ruben Baines even greater than it was with Shaq Quarterman. I don't know. I think he's, I think he's going to be really, really special already as a true freshman, just some of the things I hear. So those would be my three things. Uh that I'm looking forward to this year. Next question comes from Vandy Kane, 34. As of today, which side of the ball is the stronger unit, offense or defense?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of going back and forth with this one. Um, I don't know. I, I think I I don't know. I, I think I'm a little bit maybe more optimistic about the offense, and I know the defense has kind of you know done its thing too. But um, I, I think the offense at its best might be a little bit better, I don't know. I think I could probably be swayed either way, but I'll probably lean the offense right now.
0: I think it's pretty close. I agree. For some reason, I want to give the edge to the offense too. Um, But honestly, I think both groups are... like At the end of the year, when we look at the advanced metrics, I bet both the offense and the defense are in the same range of wherever they fall nationally, right? Um, That's just me. I do think you know, the system is going to provide a, a big boost for the offense. And I think system can overcome personnel deficiencies uh, on offense or so than defense. I think defense, you know, look, system matters there too, no doubt. But I think defense is a lot of just height, weight, speed. What does your height, weight, speed look like uh, in terms of elite talent, your your best starters, and also your depth. And I still think on defense, they got a ways to go in terms of just like depth and some position groups uh, just need to improve overall the the starting talent. It's not quite there yet. And it's not there on offense either, but again, I think on offense, you can, you can make up some of those deficiencies with your system and your play calling. So I guess that's why I would maybe give a slight edge to the offense, but really I do think it's pretty even. I don't think it's, I don't think it's been a camp Gabby where like, one side of the ball is just wrecking the other side of the ball. I think it's been pretty back and forth yeah. for the most part day to day, or even within a practice yeah. battles that are, and I
1: think they've even like maybe traded blows, like even like in sessions where the defense is kind of dominating or, or defense is kind of having its way. Like the offense does answer back with like a right. run of, you know, the offense kind of doing its thing and the offense kind of handling things. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think, you know, there's, I think it's, a, I, I agree that, you know, it could, it's probably going to be a pretty even you know, even across the board when it comes to like those overall numbers. But yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I think the system's going to be very friendly on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Uh, but I yeah. do think the the offense, you know, has a chance to maybe elevate more, you know, just, you know, with, yes. with Shannon Dawson running things.
0: New King God asks, what would you rather see in the Miami, Ohio game? So that's game one, uh, a strong run game or a strong pass game?
1: That's good. Um honestly, I I I think like I I know we've talked about this. I think I would I'd would rather see a strong run game just because really? Texas a, but this is this is kind of like my my rationale okay. there. Here so I I would rather I'd rather I'd rather kind of I'd rather Miami kind of show that they're going to run the ball against Miami of Ohio because that's like Mario's MO or whatever. And then kind of what we talked about about how they need to beat Texas and M is like through the pass. And like, obviously I want to see, I'm not saying I don't want Miami to pass the ball. I would just rather Miami display like a really strong running game against Miami of Ohio, Texas AM rolls into town. You're not going to beat them that way the next week. And then you kind of just like maybe get them. So focused on the run because Miami ran the ball so well against Miami of Ohio. And then you just kind of start spraying it around the yard. It's kind of like what, what you talked about. Like you almost like, pass it to run it you know like you just want to kind of get out there and be able to kind of open up those passing lanes uh you know early in that texas a&m game so maybe if the running game is you know strong or like you feel comfortable with it you know you can kind of go to it when you need to and not and not try to beat texas a&m by kind of running it down their throats but i also think if they run it well against miami of ohio they're going to try to run it against texas a&m so i don't know that was kind of just like my little mind game uh, approach to that question
0: i want to see them have a strong pass game against Miami of Ohio because number one, I don't think you can just like flip the switch of like, okay, we're going to hide some stuff against Miami of Ohio. We're going to just win by running the ball a ton against Miami of Ohio. And then all of a sudden find a rhythm in the passing game against a Texas A&M defense with personnel that's littered with NFL guys. Like, I just don't think that's how that works especially for this offense, like they're just not at that point to be able to do that type of stuff. And so I think you got to come out game one and look, they're going to be balanced, right? No yeah. matter what they do. uh. But I do think it's important for them to establish confidence in the passing game. I think that's big for the quarterbacks. I think that's big for the receivers this year. Um, You have to show that ability. And the only way you, earn that confidence is by doing it and so i think you have to do it in that one game before texas a and m um i agree with what you're saying like i do if i was to guess which way it will play out i think they will just lean on the run game yeah um but i don't know if that's necessarily the best thing for the trajectory of building out you know this offense over the course of a season like navigating if we're talking about like navigating the season and which is more important it's much harder to get a passing game in rhythm than to get a run game going i think if you can get a run game going you can do it anytime you want right that's just about mashing people whereas a passing game's more choreographed and timed and uh you know it's like a dance out there so I would prefer to see the passing game on point. If you made me pick between the two, um, and and in general too, like I think, I'm kind of assuming the run game's going to be good to go this year. Yeah. So maybe that's part of it too. Whereas the passing game, I think it'll be better, but we got to see it. I think. Sure. So that's where I'm at with that question. That's a good question though. Um, J Rock thirteen asks, has nil as well as negative recruiting against us played a significant role in missing out on so many of our primary targets. And guys, we've spent a lot of energy recruiting. Or was the disaster that took place on the field last year the main factor we aren't getting any of these guys? So I'll go first, Gabby, and you can just you know tell me if I'm crazy. The way I read this question, is, I mean, I think two things are going on. Number one, absolutely Miami was terrible last year and they're getting negative recruited off of that performance last year, which is going to happen, right? That's how this works. Uh, Miami was five and seven and they were a bad, bad, bad five and 17. Uh, and they've made sweeping changes. You know, On the surface, it's easy to sell how things are unstable at Miami, right? Mario Cristobal went out and made all these big changes at the coordinator spots, which I think is a good thing overall because the reset button unfortunately needed to be hit after last year. And so now, you know, they just got to wear it, that negative recruiting off of last year, until they start playing games this year and recruits can see how the new systems are taking hold. So that's number one. Number two... You know, I do think it's fair to say, like from an NIL perspective, Gabby. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, Miami's NIL is still in a good spot, so that needs to be said on the front end. But I do think it's fair to say, Miami did kind of have a head start in the NIL era, uh, and that you know the John Ruiz life wallet uh, funding. Definitely poured gas on that fire and allowed Miami to, you know, be ahead of a lot of other programs. I think since the end of the 2023 cycle, a lot of other programs have caught up and become more organized. And so I think number one, the NIL market is just generally more competitive. Um, and, and number two, I, I do think. Programs, frankly, are overpaying relative to what the rest of the market is willing to pay. And so, you know, but credit to those programs because that's getting the job done. Overpaying is going to get results. Uh, and credit to those players for um, getting the most money they can get out of a advantageous situation like that. So those are my two reads on it. I think the the broad general answer is yes all of the above is the reason why uh, Miami's recruiting maybe isn't uh, elite elite I still think it's getting overblown how like it's bad right now I don't think that's the case at all Um, but why is it maybe why is it not top 10 going into the regular season those would be the reasons I would share
1: yeah, no, and again, I think it's it is important to note that again, it's not bad. It's just not where everyone's want everyone kind of wants it to be just considering who's kind of announced decisions and commitments and all those things. And, you know, it's still a group that has a lot of, you know, really strong pieces. But yeah, you know, just from an Nil standpoint, I mean, just to kind of reiterate that, David, I do feel like Miami's in a very, very competitive spot. Like they still are, you know, again, I think one of the programs who, uh, have the uh, have the ability to kind of bring the most to the table and I know that everything that they've been putting on the table has been again just on par with whatever else is sort of in that same you know space or arena whatever you want to call it and you know, I I think that really and I, I've kind of been saying this just like really as we kind of so I felt like some of the recruitments they won last year. They're just kind of not winning those same like similar type of situations. And I think, you know, there is maybe a sort of hesitance with that five and seven. And that's why I think I mean, I think is just we just got to start playing some football games, man. And if you're Miami, Correct. there's nothing more that you want than to just get on the field and to just kick the ball off and to just right. go play some football. Because, I mean. You know, I I think, uh, you know, that's where that's where the solution is. That's where you have the opportunity to change, uh, you know, what's going on, what the perception of the program is, what what direction the program has a chance to go in, you know, because at the end of the day, winning is probably, you know, is the most important factor. And yeah, NIL and those types of things matter when you're not an elite big time winning program. And it, it matters regardless, but it makes it a lot easier to, you know, sell uh you know, a winning program and a program that's clearly, uh, you know, headed in the right direction than it is to sell a five and seven team. And that's when you get yourself in those situations, like you're kind of alluding to David, where you kind of find yourself having to overpay or do whatever, go the extra mile to have to get a kid that maybe you'd be able to get otherwise. So, yeah, I I think uh, mine is, I think football's got to get played. I think the results definitely impacted some things this summer, and, uh, but from an NIL standpoint, like, sure, I think there's just maybe a negative perception around it right now. But I think the reality of it, which is which not I'm, true. There's right. No and I, to it. Exactly. Like, I, and I think that that's more of a fan thing. Like, it's like from a, like, cause I think internally Miami and I think it when they're operating with any of these recruits, I think they're easing any concerns that this is an issue, you know, instantly. Like, you know, I think that they're, you know, relay. I mean, I think it's obvious, you know, when you're actually dealing with, you know, this types of situations that Miami's NIL situation is not in a bad spot. Um, so I think just it's easy for the fans to kind of clamor in and say, oh, John Rui's this and that. But that's, you know, still not, you know, again, the real the total reality of the situation. And I think Miami's still, again, very, very, very competitive in that market. And and they will be for a long time.
0: You ready asks, do you get the sense that the staff is feeling the pressure of the recruiting misses Or are they just continuing to plug away?
1: I mean, I definitely think that they feel the pressure. I I think that there's definitely frustration, right? Yeah, they get it. Exactly, they
0: they welcome that pressure, honestly. But like, yeah, they, it's on to the next. That's the mentality, right? So
1: always on yeah. to the next but you know you you definitely feel like and again the, this is these are the waters that they are choosing to swim in like they right. understand that when you play this game like you're not gonna you're not gonna win every you're not gonna win every time and uh you know kind of going back to you know, like what I was just saying I think when you win games it makes it easier to kind of navigate these waters you know uh um it's not everything but I think we just considering what Miami's willing to do you know just in the in 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 you know from an off the field standpoint, it makes it a lot easier to kind of get cross the finish lines in some of these situations. But, you know, yeah, I think at the same time they feel the pressure, and again, like what you said, David, they welcome the pressure and they want to be in these, you know, elite, elite type battles because that's the way, that's the standard of the roster of the this roster right. building is you, you want to litter the roster with elite players, and guess what, the only way to get elite players on your roster is by recruiting elite players, and the only way you recruit elite players is if you beat elite programs. So, um, you know, this is they, they, are built off this pressure. The program is, you know, a, a Miami's, you know, a just a part of this whole you know pressure cooker that is high level recruiting and um you know again and at the same time you know you have to kind of turn the page and be like all right on to the next big time recruit and it might be a similar situation it might not it's not going to fall your way sometimes and other times it will and uh you know you kind of just kind of you gotta you gotta keep chipping away because there's no time to sulk or feel bad for yourself or feel sorry about a situation uh you know when you're trying to build a, a major college football program
0: down. And look, this is a Homer thing to say. So I totally, if you accuse me of being a Homer for saying this, no pushback here. But I am, in general, I'm just not worried about the recruiting capability of a Mario Cristobal staff. You know, we, we look at last season, which was a total disaster, right? There's just no other way to put it. Uh And who did Miami land during or after last season in the 2023 cycle. yeah, Samson Okunlola, Ruben Bain, Damari Brown, Mark Fletcher, Collins Pong, Marcelius Pulliam. These guys are either going to be big-time contributors here this year slash in the future, or they were big-time recruits that they flipped from other programs. Yeah.
1: Joshua um, Horton, too.
0: Right. So, like, I'm just not worried about them figuring out how to land – elite talent. This is what they do. And look, how many times have we seen Miami over the past decade, you know, have a poor showing in the season and then they are decommit you. That really wasn't the case last year. And, uh, again, last year was the first time Miami had signed the best class in the ACC since the 24 seven sports era, which is the 2011 cycle. Um, Again, I understand this is a Homer thing to say, but I'm just not worried about the recruiting capability of Mario Cristobal and his staff. This is what, like, they are psychopaths in a good way when it comes to recruiting, and it's on to the next, you know? Like, okay, we missed, you know, their their mentality is we miss on this five-star, we're going to go chase another five-star. We miss on that five-star, we're going to go chase a top 50 player. We miss on that top 50 player, we're going to go chase a top 100 player. Um, so they just... They find a way to figure things out. And uh, talent acquisition is, you know, from a big picture perspective, is not a concern I have when it comes to this regime. Anything else or move on?
1: No, no. I mean, you, you crushed that.
0: Tags305 asks, 21 in the boat right now uh, in this recruiting class. And he's saying hypothetically 25 uh, is going to be the number. Who are the ideal for and who are the realistic for to fill these slots? So let's just say, let's say ideal for, let's leave realistic or whatever. If you want to mix it in, weave in some ideal or realistic, however you want to go with this. Just
1: how do we define realistic? Because again, I mean, we talk about what these guys did at the end of last cycle. Like if, if I would have told you at the end of last year, like, Oh, this is the realistic option. And then rattled off Damari Brown, Mark Fletcher and all those guys, you would have been like, you're a psychopath. So Right. Um, I mean, uh, ideal could potentially be realistic. So it's fine. I think it's fine if we keep them in the same boat.
0: Okay. Who would you highlight here in this regard? I think we got to go with D-tackle, right? I yeah. think, um, you know, corner, I think For is sure. the position. So who would you highlight at these final spots?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think David Stone uh, is, is obviously one. Um, You know, I think, you know, obviously Miami's got to land a high-level defensive tackle. Um, I think you could probably make the argument for LJ McCray too. I mean, I think honestly, either one of those guys would be a huge win, but I think, you know, just with David stone announcing on Saturday, I'll, I'll, I'll roll with David stone. Um, I, I think, uh, Xavier Mincy is, is a big one. You know, I think that he's someone that they want, you know, we're talking about like cornerbacks, uh, you know, guys and kind of like that back seven, uh, you know, I think Xavier Mincy is the name at the very, very top of the board that, you know, I, I do think Miami's generated some, some positive momentum with. Uh, so I think I think uh, you know Xavier Mincy's definitely one that uh, you know I would throw in there. I mean, again, I, if this is ideal, I don't know. Again, we don't know how realistic, but I think Jeremiah Smith uh is definitely in that group. I mean, Miami's gonna recruit him until the the very very end, and you know truthfully, you know when I talked to him at his school last week, it's, he honestly sounded more open minded than I think I've ever heard him at any point of his process, and you know I, it seems like he's really doing his due diligence and. You know, I I know Miami's going to continue to kind of chip away there. And uh, again, I think, uh, you know, if there's a good season again, I don't know how it's I don't know what blend of realistic or ideal this is. But, uh, you know, I still think Ellis Robinson is is at the very, very top of this wish list. And, you know, Miami's you know, he kind of continues to talk about wanting to come down and see Miami play a a home game this year. He's very, very, uh, you know, he's being very intentional about, you know, kind of following how they're playing and, you know, wanting to see them play well. And uh, I think that's the last potential piece uh, of, you know, again, anything that you could possibly do to get Ellis Robinson off of Georgia into Miami. I think he would just be a, a massive, massive piece. And again, top of the top of the top of the board uh, type of guy that I think, again, they're going to recruit through the very end. So, I mean, that's a, obviously a very uh, optimistic four, um, but I think if it was, built out that way, I think it would be a huge win for them.
0: Gaines MIA 01 asks, how many wins actually does something to improve the image of the program? Uh, and then he goes into Miami's schedule this year. Um, is winning seven plus uh, one of the other five? So I think he's basically asking, is eight and four going to move the needle for an SEC kit? So, I think there's two ways of answering this question. I think if we're talking about like the general fan and the general perception nationally of Miami, um, I think improving the image of the program on that level, it's got to be nine and three. Uh, But I think if we're being realistic and what is a nice step forward, a nice trajectory, uh, I think eight and four is a fair win total for the regular season. It shows improvement. Um, I think it gives you a shot to be like 10th in the recruiting rankings, which is at the end of the day, to me, what this, this is all about right now in this Mario Cristobal uh, era is talent acquisition. Um, And so look, I, again, I think for the general fan, The general college football fan you know eight and four isn't going to move the needle uh in terms of the perception like that uh nine and three i think would do that more uh but from a realistic miami fan perspective i think eight and four is a fair number and i think that's still barely good enough to land a recruiting class that is Close to top ten, if not barely top ten.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's really about how you can sell this, right? Like, I think what I, what I, what Pretty I think. Yeah, play, we'll play freshman. I mean, yeah, that's fine. I mean, but I think a, a part of this, too, is just like Miami right now is selling that the program is headed in the, the right direction. It's not I don't think it's selling that they're they've arrived or that they're there yet. And now suddenly the standard should right now be or again. I mean, eventually will be. But right now, the expectation internally is not to win, you know, 10, 11 games. Right. Like I think right now, especially right. on the recruiting trail, Miami's trying to sell improvement and you know forward progress and i i I agree that maybe seven wins doesn't really do that as much it's like okay you won five games i would hope that you could win seven a year later but i think when you start getting into that eight win range I think that like winning three more games than you won the year before is a clear indicator that Miami's program is headed in the right way. Cause if you can win three more games one year, then who's to say you can't win two more games the next, you know, or one or at least one more game the next where you're just kind of you're constantly just building this thing and and you know pushing it in the direction that it needs to go. And I think once recruits see, hey, cause I think Miami's gives kids a lot i mean miami's in a lot of these top two top threes and again none of that stuff really matters because at the end of the day only like finishing first is matters but i think miami gives kids a lot to think about and i think they give kids a lot to be excited about and i think they do put themselves in position to be to have a seat at the table because i think miami does have a lot to offer just from a you know just a from a college life standpoint you know miami the university of miami is a great place to go to school you're in miami you know all those things i think off the field miami again has has presents opportunities where you can you know take care of your family and you can take care of yourself and you can have a nice you know three four years of college so i think you know developmentally you know i do think that miami has a good group of coaches in place that you know can get guys to the nfl and you know nfl guys come down to miami to train in the off season why wouldn't you just spend your college years here so i think miami has done a really good job of setting the program up and presenting the program as a place where you can kind of do what you need to do and I think one of those key factors and I think if you kind of also show hey and we're gonna win and this thing is going the right way and you could be a part of taking it to that next level I think that's just a little kind of missing piece in all of this that Miami's maybe missing in this 2024 cycle that would help them kind of really just kind of elevate this thing to the next level where in again, maybe not in the 2023, uh, 2024 recruiting cycle, but maybe in that 2025 recruiting cycle, they can just really go all in on like, this is what we got. We're going the right way. And like, if you few you guys here, like we're kind of almost ready to go, you know? And I think, uh, I think if they do win those games I think they're going to put themselves in a position to flip some guys and get some guys maybe they missed on earlier in the cycle and again I think just that win mark it's not glamorous for the in in the state of college football but I think it gives Miami just that little bit that it's missing that maybe it was missing this summer to help kind of put them over the edge and put them in position to kind of close on these guys and show kids like yeah it's all of those things that you guys told me that I'm that I believe that I've bought in on and the football side of it is is where it needs to go. And it's going where it needs to go, too. So, yeah, I'm in, um, you know. So I, I think that if the eight and four win, again, it's not fun to talk about. It. it sounds really kind of dorky to say, yeah, you know, eight wins would be a really good mark. But I think it would be a mark that would help Miami do what it needs to do to sell the like where the, this thing is going.
0: I think we got to be real about the heavy lifted is to actually get Miami to be a team that consistently wins 10 games a year. Uh, Miami's been very mediocre the last 17 years. Uh, their average win total, their average record during that stretch is seven and five. That's Miami's been a seven and five program for the last 17 years. Um, and you look at, I I wrote an article today, Gabby, where, um, I looked at the top 15 recruiting classes from last cycle, the 2023 cycle and how many 10, how many seasons of 10 or more wins they have each had. Uh, And it's Alabama, 15 consecutive 10 plus win seasons, Georgia, 11 seasons, Texas, five, Ohio state, 15, Oklahoma, 13, LSU, nine, Miami, who ranked seventh in the recruiting rankings last year, one season of 10 wins since, you know, what is it, 2006, I think. Um, And, of course, that season was 2017, which is now, you know, six seasons ago. Uh, USC, eight seasons of 10 wins. Oregon, 10 seasons of 10 wins. Tennessee had two. Clemson, Notre Dame, Florida, Penn State, they're all in that, like, six to eight range. And then Texas A&M, surprisingly, has one. Uh, but they were kind of screwed by the COVID year in which they went nine and one. So um, basically what I'm saying is like, look, the starting point for this rebuild is a, you know, Miami slash Mario has a big mountain to climb in terms of getting this thing to where it needs to be. And I think people tell Mario will tell people, you know, in honest conversations that he has, you know, not in front of microphones. Hey, we're going to be looking good in 2025. So I think his expectation is like 2025, we're going to start looking real. Um, And so do with that, whatever you want to do with that. But uh, I think the bottom line I'm trying to highlight here is you can't have 17 years of mediocrity rot in your program and flip the switch and go win 10 games unfortunately that's just not how it works and that goes from a coaching standpoint that goes from a personnel standpoint and that goes from a culture standpoint of elevating things to consistently winning 10 games a year so that's my rant on it i don't know if you have anything more to add gabby
1: no no I don't I, I I did my I had my own rant so I think we're both good there
0: introducing the two-way v4 where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance with fuel cell each step feels explosive delivering unparalleled energy return paired with fresh foam experience maximum comfort throughout the game it's lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition the two-way v4 gives you the tools to play at a high level learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com
1: hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever
0: again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Um Chicago Kane asks, how far into the season could we start seeing recruiting momentum swing if all goes well? Um so I think this is a quick for me. Yeah. Uh if Miami's somehow able to beat Texana, I think we start to see it there
1: hundred percent. I mean that's that's the game. If Miami beats AM, I mean it's gonna I think that alone will be enough to kind of just get them kind of in like honestly, like on the offensive of just being like, let's go make some things happen.
0: And I will say, like, for me, I am kinda I'll admit I'm a little bit of a buyer on Texas A M this year. So uh with that being said, if Miami is able to get that done and beat them this year, I do think it'd be a good sign potentially of what could be to come, so yeah, that's a big game in terms of just like Miami goes and wins that game, recruiting momentum's going to pick up again. Next question from if Dorset could catch, man, that's a rough wow. username, huh?
1: Really rude, Philip. <laughs>
0: Poor
1: guy. Uh, he had some terrible drops though. I've had some. I had some very frustrating, like the Notre Dame game or what? Oh, horrible. I mean, at Notre Dame, yeah, that was just. I still have nightmares about that one. Yeah, I think it was at Soldier Field.
0: Anyways, uh, what is one team that you currently have marked as a loss that you feel Miami could pull off the upset with and one team that you have marked as a win uh, that has you most nervous? So I don't. I couldn't find any betting lines, but I would assume North Carolina would be favored in the game right now against Miami. Uh, the game's at North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina has Drake May, et cetera, et cetera. I do think Miami can pull off that. I mean, North Carolina has been a frustrating opponent for Miami here uh, recently. Yeah. But I do think Miami can pull that off. And look, honestly, like uh, North Carolina, I think, is an interesting team to monitor before they play uh, Miami. In terms of like, it's a sneaky little tough schedule. Um, I'm trying to pull it off, pull it up here as we speak. So they start with an SEC opponent in South Carolina. They play App State, who he knows is tough. Yeah. They play them at home. They play Minnesota at home. Again, Big Ten team. That's kind of tough. Then they play at Pitt in their fourth game. So that's kind of a tough little four game stretch. If you go, and I don't know which way this is going to go. I think North Carolina is a team with a lot of question marks um, and a lot of positives. But if you go like two and two in that stretch, I don't think it'd be shocking. Um, And you know, how does that set up the rest of your season? So to me, that's like a little, I think that's a winnable game that I think most people would probably have as a loss. Um, and to me like in terms of like predicting a a team that Miami should be that they could get upset by I mean look it's kind of like grasping for straws right now because like I wouldn't straight up predict Miami to lose to these teams but if we're talking about like weird schedule slash culture type of stuff to be you know just like kind of a wary eye on at temple is kind of weird to me again. I don't think temple's good, but you're playing temple on the road. That's just weird. Like, is Miami going to get up for that? It's more of just like a culture thing of like, okay, is Miami's culture going to take the next step and take these type of opponents seriously? And in a similar vein, uh, Georgia tech, you know, you're, you're playing Georgia tech coming off a bye week We've seen Miami be pretty sleepy over the last five years coming off bye weeks Again, I don't think Georgia Tech straight up should beat Miami at all, but it's just more like culture type of questions where it's like, okay, is Miami going to handle these type of situations? So that's how I would answer this question.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, as far as like a team that maybe we have kind of chalked up as a loss that maybe could be a win, like what I'm saying eight and four, like, honestly, one of the teams that I'm kind of drawing into that four losses is like a team like North Carolina, um, you know, so I think North Carolina could definitely be a winnable game. I mean, their star wide receiver is currently yeah. still ineligible. I mean, he was going to be a huge, huge piece for them. Uh, for Drake May, and uh, you know, I think if he's not eligible to play, I think it's going to be a huge hit to their offense because he was generating like some serious, serious um buzz. You know, the 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 Kent State transfer. Uh, I think his name is Des Walker. Um, Te- so Tez I Des Walker, I think Tez yeah. Walker. Okay, Tez Walker. Um, you know, so I think North, I think that is something that hurts North Carolina. Um, you know, I think a sneaky, I mean, again, it's not really sneaky, but like obviously going to NC state, right? Like right before Florida state is, is really tough. But if I was going to one of those games, that's like, yeah, this is a game Miami should absolutely win. That I think could be, um, you know, tough or like maybe not is, you know, I think that Boston college game, I think it's Thanksgiving week. I think it's like the, isn't it like the Friday after Thanksgiving, And it's a, it's a noon game, a noon kickoff in Boston, you know, of course in Boston, which is going to be freezing cold. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I always get worried. Yeah. Another culture type game, another culture game, you know, can, can you, can you kind of battle through the conditions and go take care of a Boston college team that you should beat, uh, on what's going to be a very, very out of your element, uh, you know, game.
0: I think Louisville at home too, is another culture type game where it's just, just like okay, let's say at NC State and at Florida State doesn't go as as you had hoped. That Louisville game could be very sleepy from a Miami perspective oh, of yeah. like, are the is the team still engaged? The fan base, like fans, probably won't show up to that game, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we'll see. Navigating a season in general is something that the program has been poor with here over the past decade in general jazzer asks what are the backup plans at interior defensive line if we miss out on david stone part of the reason they wanted to sign a great class there is we need lots of numbers this cycle do we reach for some prospects sorry do we reach for some projects or do we go heavier in the portal and try again next year with some better results so you know look i think Number one, like they, if they miss out on Stone, they're going to continue to recruit all these guys they've missed on until the buzzer, right? So that goes without saying. They're going to try and still flip guys. Number two, the sense I get, Gabby, is I think the, the general strategy, and I think this is the right strategy, is chase elite high school players for the most part. There's always going to be exceptions. There's always going to be some projects sprinkled in just because you have to do that with layering your roster with age, you know, differences, but in general, go chase elite prospects. If you miss on them, allocate that money to the transfer portal. So that's what I would kind of expect.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely uh, what I would expect. I mean, I think Miami's probably going to be in the market for a big time transfer defensive lineman anyways. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's very much still recruit these guys. Um, it's definitely you know kind of pivot to we got to get some port we got to get some guys in the portal there. Um, I think there's a couple high school names you know Miami offered a Colorado commit out of Michigan, Brandon Davis Swain. I think he's someone that they that they really like. Um, you know I think he's someone that there that there's definitely interest in. Um, you know I know for a fact that they're working on a like you know a committed defensive line and lineman. Um, that you know again that the name has never been mentioned by you know i don't think anyone i'm i'm not going to be the one to drop it cuz i was you know not i was asked not to but like you know there's just like typical miami stuff that like you know they're working behind the scenes to kind right. of pivot and see what it is that they're going to do like you know they they got plans in place they got you know they've already started kind of making progress on on some other guys and uh, you know they feel like you know they definitely have some sort of inroads um with uh you know again someone that uh, just another prospect that um uh, you know that 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 we haven't really talked about yet and probably won't. Um, I think just another like maybe like potentially intriguing um you know like local option again. This is ju- I'm not saying Miami's going to go this direction, but I think you know from a size standpoint, um, you know it could be it could make sense to kind of kick the tires from a maybe developmental standpoint. Is is Dimitri Nichols Nicholas out a out out of New Orleans in Miami? He's a uh, you know listed at six foot four, two hundred and ninety five pounds. We have him as an eighty eight. Um, I think Auburn has some momentum there. I think they're really, uh, I think they're really, uh, you know, working hard on, on Dimitri Nicholas. I think he visited for that big cat weekend and, you know, so uh, a potential sec bound uh, player right here in Miami's backyard that again, I'm not saying he needs to, he's the pillar, a potential pillar of the defensive line class, but I do think he's a big body in Miami searching for those. And, you know, he could be a name that makes sense. And, Again, I know some people have I know Miami's seen him around before and have, you know, definitely taken account of the body type. So who knows? Maybe that's a, a that's maybe that's a way that Miami can kind of pivot and just still find a high school, you know, body type that they like, Um, you know, assuming that they, again, want to go that route.
0: UM Jax asks, if we're behind in a tight game, who are the players most likely to give, quote unquote, an Ed Reed speech? Or rally the troops on both sides of the ball.
1: Wow, I mean, I, I think on defense, I mean, I think it'd be Cam Kitchens, right? Like that's hurt just stuff. Yeah, I think he 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 would definitely be the hurt one. Um, on offense, I think I would. I mean, who, am I crazy for? I think it would be Matt Lee, right? Like I think Matt Lee would yeah. kind of be the guy to kind of just like get everyone together and and you know definitely start a you know riot, riot, you know ripping off some uh. Some big time speeches. Like, I think he would probably be the guy that I would go with on on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Camp Kitchens is like internally, he's viewed as like the unquestioned vocal leader of the entire team. Like, he talks, he gets up and talks to the team, everyone listens. Uh, I agree with Matt Lee on offense. So, if we're taking those two guys out of the equation, who would you bring to the table as a third guy? I think. I think James Williams is on the table if he yeah. takes the next step in terms of performance. I think Javion Cohen is is there too. I think Kiko Maui Noah yeah. could be there too. Um, those would be the next group of guys I'd highlight as well.
1: Yeah. It sucks that it's not the quarterback. We're not really thinking about that one. But maybe, I mean, I don't know. It's I would, just I, not I, his personality. Yeah. I think
0: he does talk. I think he does. But it's, you know, you don't want a guy to force force it and be someone he's not. And uh, you know, I think Tyler would do it, but I don't know if he's the go-to guy, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I would like to see Wesley be like, I think maybe he could potentially be in there. I know he's he's kind of said Good. some stuff.
0: It's gotta be performance based with him. Yeah. He yeah, gotta... he's got a ball. Uh so we're gonna group these two kind of questions together, I think. So J Rock13 asks do you foresee our our new coordinators making a significant impact on the results that we see this year? And Boston Canes one asks, what is your sense as to this new coaching staff's ability to maximize the talent on the roster and make adjustments when faced with legitimate adversity, both in game and week to week? Last year's staff was terrible in both of these areas. So I do think Both coordinators, I think it's fair to say both Lance Kidry, the defensive coordinator, and Shannon Dawson, the offensive coordinator, are more adaptable kind of guys in general, which I think is a good thing, of course, you know, because games always, you know, have plenty of twists and turns. And also, too, just like from a general Miami standpoint, it's frustrating in a lot of ways because you don't know what you're going to get from week to week in terms of are the players, Focused, is the intensity there? Is the performance gonna be there week to week to week? And so I think you have to adjust based off that as well. Um, I know Lance Gidry prides himself on making in-game adjustments. He's something he he highlights that as an area that he feels like is one of his greatest strengths as a coach. Um, and then Dawson's system, I think in general, is not as rigid as Josh Gaddis's system. You know, Tyler Van Dyke is going to have a lot of freedoms at the line of scrimmage that he didn't have last year to make some calls and checks. So I also think, you know, personality-wise fit wise and scheme-wise, these guys are a much better match than Miami right now. And so, you know, look, I think this is more so on the offensive side of the ball. But when you're playing for a coach that you're not really feeling, I think when adversity hits, there's going to be a quit factor. And so I think we saw a little bit of that. Um, And so I think these guys, these new coordinators are going to do a a much better job of connecting with the players and getting on the same page. The buy-in's better. Um, I will say this though, Gabby, and this will be the last thing I say on the new coordinators. I am interested to see how they navigate the season in general, because look, Miami is a different animal than where they've been. Uh, and, and as we know, things can get really intense if the results uh are not coming. And I don't know and, and maybe it's maybe they shouldn't know because they haven't been through it yet. But I don't know if Shannon Dawson and Lance Gidry fully understand what's coming with in terms of like scrutiny and all that pressure. Um if the results go sideways a little bit because they've never been at this level of a program before. So that's one little area I'll be watching, but what are your thoughts on the new coordinators?
1: No, I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of what you said already, uh, you know, I think, I think, I think one of the first things Lance Kidry said when he got here, I think it was during the spring. It might've been there in the spring. Uh, he talked about like how many different defenses he's kind of been able to kind of be a part of just how long he's been, coaching defense and you know even I think he I said he started on the offensive side I think he just understands different ways to kind of get things done and I think his kind of like his approach of just like not being so married to like one particular way of doing things uh, I, I think gives him the ability to kind of have an answer for whatever is kind of coming at him And again we'll kind of well obviously that's to be determined because we haven't necessarily seen it yet, but I I do, I do again, just like the fit. I think the fit is better. I think from, for where this, this program's at right now, I think this is the type of guy uh, that, that Miami needs right now. Someone who is willing to, is capable of, you know, having, you know, answers for these sort of questions or when adversity strikes, you know, kind of knowing where to go. Um, you know, so I I I'm optimistic that you know Lance Gidry is gonna again. We'll see how the defense actually performs and what that actually looks like. But I I think he's like you know willing and uh, capable of of dialing some things up, and you know again just. Uh, getting creative when he needs to get creative and making changes when he needs to make changes. And I think for Shannon Dawson too, I mean, I, I think that again, I, I think it's all going to come down to, and we've talked about this before is how much, is how much is Mario Cristobal going to kind of let go of the rope, you know, and kind of let him, you know, kind of let them kind of do their thing, you know, in the air and and passing the ball around. And of course he wants to run the ball, control the line of scrimmage, all that stuff. But I do think, uh, you know, you kind of go back and watch those Houston offenses and while they were balanced, they always featured a, a very strong pass attack. And I think as, as long as there's just kind of a freedom for coach Dawson to kind of, you know, do what he, what he wants to do and you know assuming the personnel kind of answers the call and you know performs i think uh you know again I, i'm i'm just optimistic that it's just going to be better and again not 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 best in the country but i think it's going to be uh you know a, a fun unit to watch that's going to again i think it's going to they're going to be able to put defense on their toes rather than you know having to you know, kind of maybe you know, again, you're gonna have to adjust, you're gonna have to do all those types of things, but I think uh, especially up front, you know, again, at the line of scrimmage along the offensive line, they're so stout, and again, as long as they're healthy, I think he's gonna, you know, have a chance to, you know, again, do things his way.
0: Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices, ASAP.
1: The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get
0: paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today, erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at torreslionel1, the number one, at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. Over Unders brought to you by Paul Erickson. Yeah, I like these. Mark Fletcher nine and a half touchdowns.
1: I'm going over. That's wow. crazy. I'm going over.
0: Okay, I'll say under. I'd say like eight.
1: I think he's gonna have like twelve. I think he's gonna. Sc- I just think he's gonna be like a goal line back. Like I think he he he's gonna be. get. He's gonna get like. I think he's gonna have like four two yard touchdowns at least. No doubt. I agree. And I think it's in some of these. I think in some of these early games. Like he could like. I could definitely see him do being like a two touchdown against Miami of Ohio, like two, three touchdowns against Bethune cookman guy. I mean, like you have five in just like regular random games. Like I think he could definitely get like up over the nine and a half mark.
0: There you go. That'd be, I mean, that'd be a very good sign if that happens. I think yeah. eight is still even a good sign. Yeah, No, it would but still be really good. What was, so last year the leader was four, right?
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Um, uh, Colby Young, seven hundred and fifty receiving yards.
1: Yeah, um, I'll
0: go. this is easier. I'd go over on this. Yeah, I think
1: I'd go over too. Cam
0: Kitchens, three and a half interceptions.
1: So I'll, 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 I think I'll take the over there too. Maybe
0: I'll say under. Uh, number one, I think QBs will be, you know, not testing him as much this year. And, you know, look, if we're being honest, like three picks is still a really good season. Yeah. Um, you take away his three pick game last year from Georgia Tech, he would have ended with three, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'll have Cam Kitchens at three interceptions. Love it. Ruben Bain, six and a half sacks.
1: This is tough for me, but I don't know. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, i going to I'm going to I think I'm going to go under. I think I, I kind of thought like you'd be like a five and a half, six sack guy.
0: I'll go over. Wow, all aboard the Bain train.
1: All aboard the Bain train. I love that.
0: I can convince myself of some crazy things when it comes to how good I think Ruben Bain's going to be this year.
1: Wow. But you you yeah. can we hear some of them? Like what, what do we
0: got here? I think he could lead the team in sacks. Wow. Which okay. I which I think puts him in that 10 sack range. I could see it.
1: He's going to be a beast.
0: Crispy B. 3 asks please touch on Miami's plans moving forward for quarterback. will Miami hit the portal uh and target other high school players other than Judd for this 20 Judd Anderson uh for this 2024 cycle. every recruit can't be a raw project. If Tyler Van Dyke goes down, Chikari Brown isn't ready and neither is Emery Williams. Judd Anderson is very raw too. I just don't see the light here. So I'll say this. The longer I do this, Gabby, the more I kind of realize it's really hard to judge that position until you're playing in real games. Um, practices at that position in particular are so different than any other position in football uh, because you can't touch those quarterbacks, and that's how it should be in practice. You gotta you gotta protect them, you gotta bubble wrap them, but I do think it's hard to really truly assess what what quarterbacks are. In practice, now you got to do your best in practice. You got to perform at a high level and practice with the situations you're you're thrown into. But I guess I'm saying all this in, in terms of like I get why you would on paper say Jakari right. slash Emery aren't ready yet, but we honestly don't know that, and you won't know that until it's game time. Uh, again, we saw Jakari get thrown into. Uh, A starting role last year, Clemson went about how you would expect it to go. You know, an elite defense against a developmental quarterback that went how it should go. And uh, then Georgia Tech, I think he I think he performed pretty well against Georgia Tech. Um, I think Chakari is a better player now since that Georgia Tech game. And so I'm not necessarily convinced that he isn't ready if if Miami gets to that point and with Emory we just don't know like i i am intrigued by his skill set but we just don't know we got to see it in a real game um so i'm not ready to make any like black and white statements there um because again i think you have to judge quarterbacks in games honestly like when Tyler Van Dyke was elevated i didn't think he would turn into being what he is now um uh, and, you know, he's definitely turned into a better player than I assumed he would have um, when he got his opportunity. Um, in terms of just, like, what the plan is, I I would be surprised. Let's, let's have this conversation assuming Tyler Van Dyke moves on, right? Um, I think Miami should go get a portal quarterback and raise the competition level of the group. I don't think that necessarily means that quarterback. I mean, it depends on who it is, I guess but I don't think it necessarily means that quarterback is the definite starter. I think you need a guy to come in and and raise the level between Jakari and Emery and the cream rises to the top in terms of the Judd stuff. You know, look, like I get it. Like, you know, maybe the, the performances aren't what, what you would want, but this is kind of what they took. Like, I don't understand. Like, I just think, when he committed, didn't we know that he was a developmental kind of guy? Um, so to me, he's a guy with big traits in terms of size and kind of a big arm. You take him and you see what you got in year three at the college level. Um, but I think that's just kind of what, what Miami knew he was going to be when they took his commitment. So those are my thoughts on quarterback.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, along the Judd things again, I don't think Miami, I think Miami knew exactly, I don't, I think they knew exactly what they were kind of getting in Judd and I don't think they were taking Judd because they felt like he was this like all time, you know, he's going to throw up, he's going to put up a bunch of stats and all those things. I think they kind of looked at the tools and, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to be mobile and athletic at, you know, six foot six, 210 pounds or. Whatever. And, the, and we can the, disagree
0: about that approach. I yeah, think that's of fair. course. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, for sure.
1: Again, w- if that's the right approach is, you know, definitely a conversation, but Miami, you know, of course they were about their missed on Aaron Noland, who kind of became their guy. And, uh, you know, if they had done, they had done plenty of evaluating and digging on, on Judd and kind of liked what they saw. And again, I, I think that what, you know, what it has happened on Friday nights to this point, you know, maybe isn't the smoothest or the sharpest. And, you know, obviously not ideal, but I think that they're just kind of all in on the traits. And again, I think just because of that, I don't, I don't know how much that's going to be kind of the difference maker, you know, as far as like the t- plans as, uh, you know, for the 2024 quarterbacks, just because again, I think they kind of watch him throw. And to David's point, I mean, sometimes with quarterbacks, you just don't know until, you know, the bullets are flying and, you know, until it's time to kind of get hit. And, you know, they felt like he, you know, has the arm talent. He has, uh, the you know he has again just athletic traits and things like that. His understanding of the game, where you know again we're not going to be able to judge judge Jud Anderson and what he kind of truly is going to be until you know year three of his college career, and um that's obviously still ways away. And you know I think uh you know uh Shannon Dawson has done a good job with identifying and and developing quarterbacks. So you know you never know, and I feel like similar a, a similar way that we were talking about Jud Anderson. Last cycle, I feel we were talking that way about Emory Williams. If just like, you know, oh, he's not winning games on Friday nights. His team is uh, five and set or whatever the case was. I, I forgot what his team's record was, but it wasn't great. And look, we're talking about Em. We started talking about Emory in the spring and even in the fall as a guy that's definitely – uh, You know, he's performing well. Yeah, he's good enough. So I just think it's kind of like, again, easy to get caught up in all that stuff. But let's see what Judd Anderson is when he has two, three years to kind of develop. And again, I'm not saying he's going to be the guy, but I don't think that this is all this type of stuff is is what gets Miami kind of off track. At the moment. And, you know, as far as a, as what happens in the quarterback room next year, I absolutely 100 percent expect them to be active in the December transfer portal window um, and, and go try to find a guy to add to this quarterback competition to throw into there and then kind of see how it all shakes out. I think that, you know, it's, it's going to be very important for there to be, you know, legitimate competition next spring. And uh, I would be pretty stunned if uh, Miami didn't go find a quarterback to kind of add to the mix.
0: G McCoy 50 asks, I know that you can't say anything about individual players, but are you anticipating any major two deep players missing the first game other than Zion uh, Nelson and Trevante citizen? So the only major players I'm kind of monitoring right now because of, you know, I would say minor camp stuff uh, would be Akim Mazador dealing with like a foot thing, but I think he's back practicing now. So that might be all good. And then, Elijah Arroyo dealing with the hamstring type of thing, Uh, hamstring strain, which is common for guys who are coming off ACL. So, you know, that back part of your leg, you know, when you're coming off ACL surgery, you have to really strengthen it. That's part of the process. And hamstring strains are, are are fairly common uh, for guys coming off that type of knee injury. So those would be the two. Um, Again, I, I kind of think both guys will probably be okay for game one if not, I would definitely think they're just holding them out for game one and they'll be good to go for game two uh District Kane asks if you could pick one player to be immune from injury this season other than Tyler van Dyke, who would it be well wow. he he District Kane says I'm going with Matt Lee so I think Matt Lee's a good one yeah I think Camp Kitch isn't a good one. So those are the three guys that represented Miami at ACC media days. I think those are the easy three. So outside of those three, who would you take?
1: Man. uh,
0: I'd go Leonard Taylor.
1: Yeah. Leonard Taylor is a good one. I thought about Leonard Taylor. I, I, and I, I think I'm just thinking about the offensive line too. Like maybe just JV and Cohen next in just uh, make sure that like, you know, your best players on the offensive line are, are fully healthy.
0: Okay. Uh, Ohio Kane 2005 asked, what's your biggest surprise so far this camp and your biggest disappointment? So surprise for me, I'd probably go Damari Brown. I didn't really see him like, I mean, I like him a lot. I like his talent a lot. I just didn't think he'd really get an opportunity to start game one. And I don't know if he is going to start game one, but he's in that mix. He has an opportunity to be that guy. And so I'm a little surprised that it's come that soon. I like that. Um, I'm just surprised that coaches were willing to do it, but credit to them for doing it. Disappointment. I don't know. I mean, I, I'd probably say maybe the tight end injuries. I, I am a little curious. I mean, the injuries, and again, they're, they're for the most part, just minor camp type of deals. Uh, but they, you know, they've had a lot of injuries there at tight end. And I, I do wonder like how that has had to change their approach by the work they do on offense. I think they want to be multiple. I think they want to play quite a bit of two tight end sets, quite frankly. But when you start picking away at you know, your tight end depth, it probably makes more sense to go four wide a lot. And we've seen a lot of four wide looks uh, when we've been able to watch because of that depth being picked apart. So uh, I don't think going four wide is a bad thing at all. I'm just curious like how these injuries have kind of changed their approach a little bit. Um, and just in general, you know, I think it could cause things to be a little more disjointed, I guess is a fair way to put it. Um, cause you don't have your full arsenal of what you want to do in terms of being a balanced offense.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I could, if I could keep some, I mean, I guess my biggest surprise I think Damari Brown is clearly the biggest surprise of camp. I think the fact that he's going to potentially start is, I mean, I think just team wide, I think Damari Brown is obviously the, the guy that every, I mean, you have to point to and just be like, okay, that's probably one thing I definitely did not expect to kind of happen. He was a summer enrollee, um, you know, and I think the fact that he's kind of taken on this role uh, or potential role is, is, has definitely been one of the biggest storylines, of, of fall camp so far, I think a dis, maybe a disappointment for me, uh, kind of maybe along those similar lines is probably that Jadis Richard, like didn't kind of take that second cornerback job. Uh, I, I thought that he was, I thought he, they, I thought they brought him in with the intentions of, you know, he was kind of going to be the guy opposite of, of Devonte Brown. And I think, uh, Jadis Richard and, you know, really him. I'm not saying that he's not going to like play or whatever.
0: I I hear pretty good things about Jadis. Yeah. But maybe that speaks to Damari's talent. I don't know. Yeah,
1: it it could. It could. It it definitely could. And again, I'm not saying Jadis is a bad player. I mean, the first day of fall camp, we saw him pick a ball off. You know, I, I think he's a talented kid. Um, you know, again, maybe even just kind of going back to the scrimmage and and, you know, the open scrimmage that we saw. Um, you know, and again, we're so limited in what we're able to consume. So who knows, maybe I'm out of bounds here. But I, I was I was really hopeful that it was gonna be like, you know, a couple, you know, it was gonna be like Devontae Brown, Jadis Richard, and uh, yeah. you know, maybe Jadis Richard is a quality depth piece that they could rotate in. Uh, but I thought Jadis Richard was gonna be maybe more immediately impactful. Um, you know, in in the in, in and by that I just mean that he was gonna be like a starter.
0: I think one disappointment too, and again, this isn't necessarily a fall camp thing. This is more like a roster construction thing that is just evident during fall camp, is just that Miami wasn't able to get like a big stout D tackle yeah. in the portal, and then also a third safety in the portal. Mm-hmm. The third so, safety
1: is also really concerning.
0: Yeah. Uh Omni Point asks, based on everything you have seen and heard from sources, are things pointing towards Leonard Taylor being trusted with more snaps. Would you expect snap count? What would you expect snap count per game? So, you know, look, I think the standard is high for Leonard and it should be high because he is a free talent. I think people are encouraged by the way he has taken a step forward this year. So you look at the snap count last year he averaged about 27 defensive snaps per game. I think it's, you know, look, Miami's going to rotate. I don't know if they're going to be a team that plays a D tackle 60 snaps. Um, I'd be surprised at least if that was the approach, I wouldn't be against that, but I I don't think they want to do that. So I kind of look at it as like, he's going to play maybe 35 snaps per game with the effort also being better in those 35 snaps. And that, that, that equals, you know, just over four hundred defensive snaps for a twelve game schedule. So that's how I would view it. I do think they're encouraged by his conditioning level and his effort and practice. So there's been some nice steps forward there. Ohio Kane two thousand five asks, What is Gabby and David's take on quarterbacks under Mario? Just a real take on his reputation with respect to the quarterbacks. Um yeah. go ahead. No, I mean,
1: I was going to say, like, I mean, I, I I think like, obviously everyone's kind of ties, I think Mario to like Justin Herbert, like, you know, I think everyone tries to like knock Justin Herbert under Mario and yeah, he was a generational talent and, you know, he obviously, you know, has gone on to be one of the NFL's best quarterbacks, but like, I mean, they, they still won like a Rolls Bowl together. Like, I feel like he still performed, you know, well, and I, I definitely get that. I mean, I feel like Mario just as a head coach too, I mean, he's had Justin Herbert Anthony Brown and then really Tyler Van Dyke, right? Like is there another is there another quarterback that's kind of mixed in there?
0: Um well it's you know... his FIU days, but yeah, I mean Okay, it's FIU days, talking. yeah. Uh but yeah, I mean I think that's look, narratives definitely can stick to quarter to coaches. And look, I don't think it's like blasphemy to say like Mario cristobal cares a lot about the run game, right? He wants to feature thousand yard backs but I think if we're being honest too, like I think it's easy to make blanket statements and, and hit coaches with narratives. Um, but to, if we're going to be fair, right? Like I think we got to talk about number one, what is that quarterback's talent level? Number two, what does that quarterback have to work with? Because quarterback is very much a de- a position that's dependent on the players around him. And so you mentioned Anthony Brown, he had the best year of his career Uh, At at Oregon, he threw for 3,000 yards with 18 touchdowns and seven picks while rushing for 650 yards and nine touchdowns. He was not drafted, um, and his top receiver that year didn't total more than 600 yards or four touchdowns. Justin Herbert threw for 3,400 yards, 32 touchdowns, and six picks while completing 67% of his passes. You know, that that performance was good enough to get him drafted. What top five in the NFL draft. He was also not throwing to like NFL receivers at all at the college level. His top guy was Johnny Johnson, the third who totaled 836 yards and seven touchdowns. He was an undrafted free agent. Um, so I do think, you know, he gets hit with some narratives that there are some truth to, uh, But in terms of like being a quote unquote quarterback killer, I think that's a little overblown to me. Like, if I was gonna hit Mario with some of this stuff, I would say, and I think he's addressed it in this cycle, I would say you gotta get receivers that can change a game. And he's done that with Jojo Trader. And I think Chance Robinson has that potential. Last cycle, he did it with Nathaniel Joseph. So, uh, you know, the quarterback killer narrative is a little overblown to me. 305 PLP asks, Are there any current commits that could slash should see significant bumps throughout their senior year? So I don't have an issue with where these guys are ranked right now, Miami's commits. But if I did, I could see like if Kevin Riley, Marquise Lightfoot, Artavius Jones, uh, Broussard, the latest commit, if they have good senior tape, I could see them getting bumped a little bit. But, uh, you know, in general, I don't have an issue with with the rankings right now.
1: Yeah, I think two that i think miami would probably pound the table for are kevin riley uh he's still ranked really high i mean i don't have it right in front of me right now but kevin riley yeah kevin riley's like a top 100 or so player and you know i think miami would argue that he's maybe maybe just even within the running back rankings that he's better than some of the guys that are ranked ahead of him which of course is you know all subjective and things like that. Um, and I think KV on Broussard is one that they're actually like really excited about. And they, and look, there's just not a lot on him. I mean, he didn't play spring football. Right. He didn't really camp any anywhere in the summer. Um, you know, so I think that there's just not a lot of information. There's not a lot of eyeballs that have gotten on KV on Broussard. but but uh, I think they think that he's going to have a huge fall. And I think if, uh, you know, if he does have a huge fall at six foot six, 280 pounds or whatever the case is, And he just continues to kind of show that he's a a potential tackle, you know, left tackle, right tackle, whatever the case is. Um, You know, I think he's someone that maybe he's already an 88, which is a high three star. Maybe he he pushes for, you know, a little bit more. Who knows? But uh, I think those are two that I think Miami would really say are, you know, are they feel, you know, that are not properly ranked or in Broussard's case, he will eventually surpass his current ranking.
0: Jay Friedman 0281 asks, do you believe that the current state of the ACC is our biggest recruiting hurdle or is it just on field results? So we touched on this a little bit, but I, yeah. you know, I think it's fair to say the ACC thing is being used in negative recruiting. Uh, To me though, it's on field results all day long. Like if we're comparing the two, the way I feel is like, look, first let's, you know, first Miami needs to get to the point of winning 10 plus games a year. And then once that's happening, we could talk about how conference realignment is screwing at recruiting. Would you push back on that?
1: No, I mean, again, I think you got to win. I think you, I mean, when I think winning games is, is the, is the answer to a lot of the, a lot of the problems, a lot of the things that, um, that Miami could, you know, again, improve on or just kind of build on, on the recruiting trail. It's just, winning games on saturdays and again an opportunity you know coming up soon really less well, we're less than two weeks david from you know ball meeting foot so i think uh you know once they start winning games i think that'll i think that'll ultimately have the biggest say and then you know again i think like and we've talked about the conference realignment stuff a lot before and you know i i do think that you know i think miami will find its way through that whole um yeah. ordeal
0: best uh will in the wild what do you think is the issue with the run defense is it lack of size at d tackle scheme team speed so you know i think it's fair to say that the d tackle thing is is a fair point definitely um i think it's fair to say too linebacker play has improved but i think it's also fair to say like the speed isn't like crazy out there and so i do think like in the first scrimmage we saw some uh big runs to the edges um, I also think too, one thing to keep an eye on is tackling at nickel and safety is something to keep an eye on. Uh, you know, I think Cam Kitchens and James Williams are NFL players, but I still think there's meat on the bone for them with improving their tackling. Um, and then nickel, you know, Jaden Davis, I think has been solid, but he's a smaller corner and, you know, we'll see how that goes for him. So, uh, I think it's, this is a, both things can be true type of situation. Run defense will be improved year over year, and it is still an area to not be comfortable with. Kane Sense '96 asks if LT has a big year and has 20 plus tackles for loss, eight to ten sacks. Would you see Miami having a top 30 defense? That's a huge year. I'm mean,
1: about to say like he's gonna. What's the what's the the defensive line award? Is that the Outland? The Outland Award, I think he's going to be walking away with that trophy first and foremost. And two, yeah. I mean, I think if LT's having that dominant of a year, I think uh, Miami's defense is definitely going to be in a really, really good spot. I mean, those are insane tackle for loss numbers. Those are insane sack numbers, and... If LT's getting that much sacks, I mean, I can only imagine how you know, like some of these edge rushers are kind of feasting too. So I think Miami definitely safely has a top thirty defense if you have Outland Award winner Leonard Taylor kind of anchoring things.
0: If he has, so if I'm setting tackle for loss at eleven and a half over under, where would you put it for Le- Leonard Taylor? Yeah, I'll take the to- I- I'll take the over. Okay, Kane Pug asks. I know you all have been clear the goal is to redshirt Chikari, but in your opinion, do you see him being used in packages to help win games? And would you use him in packages to help ensure we stay on track? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I do think they want a redshirt, and I do think they're open to incorporating him into some games. Um, We just got to see how that plays out. So uh, I think the answer is yes, but I do think they want to still keep that redshirt. If it's yeah. possible,
1: yeah. I mean, again, Chikari, I think Jakari could be a weapon in right. in certain instances. I don't and...
0: think they want to waste them. I mean, we'll see how this goes, right? Because things yeah. can change. I don't think they want to like waste a game against Bethune, and yeah. so to me, that tells me that they do want to use them in four games. Yeah, which I think they should. Yeah, he brings uh, a different element.
1: That would be interesting, David, if they don't use him against Bethune. I mean, I I think that's again, I I think that would be a tell to how they how they feel about him. Because if if they were just like Jakari, we need you know, you're going to get a ton of reps here against Bethune, like take it. And if they don't play him in that game and let maybe like Tyler and and Emery split that, um, you know, I think that that would be again, I think very I think it'd be telling just about how much they value just again. And we know they do but just how they really plan to use him in in some other games.
0: H 792 says, with the amount of injuries suffered last season, Mario's level of intensity and practice, along with the strength and conditioning staff, there was plenty of justified scrutiny. Have you seen or been told a different approach to this season, or was it just a case of football being a violent physical sport? So I think on the front end, it's worth saying, Miami, or Miami, Mario believes in physical practices. Um, he believes that's important in terms of setting the tone for your program because, obviously, football, physical, physical sport. Um, but I do think it's fair to say, Gabby, they, they've taken some different approaches in small ways, very small ways. But I do think it matters with trying to limit injuries that might pop up during fall camp. I think, you know, we've seen during the individual Drill uh, portion of practice. They're primarily working inside the IPF, whereas last year they were working pretty much all practice outside. Um, now, th- these practices this fall camp, they're still, I think, primarily outside, but they are making sure to do some more work inside the IPF because I think a lot of trainers will tell you fatigue is what leads to injuries more times than not. And obviously, like, I think in addition to that, we all know the heat in South Florida this month has been record-setting. Brutal. And so I think, you know, they're they're also accounting for that. Um, But look, I think the way Mario looks at it, like, yes, he does want to limit injuries as much as he can, but he wants to have a physical program. And I think he looks at it as it's my job through talent acquisition, to have the amount of depth and talent to deal with injuries over the course of a season. Uh, I don't think Miami's quite there yet from a roster construction standpoint, but he kind of views that as a way to deal with injuries. Anything else you would add?
1: No, I mean that's all you. A
0: couple more and then we're out of here. Stavello Kane asks just a breakdown of our defensive tackle rotation, the two deep and beyond. So I think it's going to be LT and Branson as the starters. Yep. Branson Dean, the Purdue transfer. I would have the backups as Ahmad Moten and Jared Harrison Hunt. Would you push back on that? No. And then after them, I think you're going to see a rotation of like uh, Jake Lichtenstein, Anthony Campbell, yeah, Josh Horton, Thomas Gore. That's how I view it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's on on point.
0: Eddie Uvale asks. Give us a sense of the most important missed targets that crisp and company intend to continue pursuing through their remainder of the year. So I think all of them, I mean, I don't yeah, they, all of them. they don't stop really. So yeah. any, any, you would highlight in particular.
1: I mean, I think they're definitely just going to continue. I mean, I think like really Justin Scott, they're still trying. Yeah, I think I mean, like they're... Justin Scott, they're still going to be recruiting. Like Colin Simmons, they're still recruiting. Uh, Devon Mitchell, they're still recruiting. The tight end, the committed to Oklahoma.
0: Um, shoot, if there's they a... they miss bu- on David Stone this week, they're not going to stop, you know? Yeah,
1: if they miss on David Stone, exactly. They're not going to stop recruiting David Stone. Um, you know, again, I think even the guys like who I mentioned earlier, like, you know, Jeremiah Smith, Ellis Robinson... All those guys are all guys that they're just going to continue to kind of recruit. I mean, they're they, they're not going to stop recruiting any of these guys, especially if they start winning some games. I think they know that, uh, right. you know, there's going to be a window for them to kind of, you know, again, kind of come back to the table, present, uh, you know, those types of things that like, hey, there's there's a chance here. Like there's an opportunity here. And, you know, they're definitely going to start, you know, pushing that issue.
0: Justin Barra 65 asks, I like this question. Most important question of the day who has you're gonna have to educate me because the question is who has the better cuban food la Carreta or sergio's i have to admit i have always been a la Carreta guy so that's where i go i've never been to sergio's
1: sergio's is fire bro so you you like it more i like sergio's more okay i'm a sergio i'm a sergio i don't have sergio's like all the time but like I mean, a Sergio like Sergio's. Uh, I was text. I was telling my brother and a couple of my friends this. Like the Sergio Croqueta has definitely shot up my 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 hot board of of best in Miami. It's really really good. Uh, okay. but Sergio's has a very like expansive menu. Like Sergio's menu is like really cool. Like it's it's Cuban food, but it also has a lot of like really you know different things on it too. That's that are that are really really good. I think Sergio's. I think Sergio's is is an awesome. Like La Carreta is just like if you just want like the typical cookie cutter cuban food like go to la careta just enjoy a nice cuban meal like sergio's you can kind of branch out a little bit and still like you still have that core cuban like you know like core cuban cuisine but you still but you get a you can get a little bit more too and then it's just i, I mean I, I i love sergio's i really love sergio's so i'd probably get yeah, there. there i mean I'm a, i am i'd usually just go i there's like a they have some like i don't know it's like a firecracker shrimp type of thing like i'll usually get that it comes in like i don't know if it's like tacos or like a wrap or something like that um they have things like that they have like a they have they have like a wrap that's a i think it's called like a yo wrap or something like that that it's like um plantains um rice you know the typical rice beans chicken um they get they give you like this little garlic sauce on on the side i mean that's that's definitely a a go-to uh, and then you know I'll just do typical like pango day or something like that. Like I'm not like a I'm that that's basically as far as I go, you know, Cuban food wise. But they got a lot of really good stuff. Like the menu is really cool. I've seen like what other people order, and you know they have a really like expansive stuff. And then I will always get croquetas because then like, I like that that'll be like a morning. Like if my morning if I want like a cafe con leche in the morning, like I'll stop at Sergio's here around the corner, and uh, and grab something there. And probably grab a croquet, a croqueta too and just m- m- munch down, bro.
0: Sergio's is a really good spot. All right, we'll have to hit it. Who has the better Cuban sandwich, though?
1: <laughs> really <laughs> funny, bro. Really funny. No so Gabby, one
0: ever. Yeah, does not like a Cuban sandwich. Uh, I'm not a Cuban sandwich guy. I generally just go picadillo. Uh, yeah. I also like, I mean, it's fairly just basic, but I like the pollo a la plancha.
1: Uh-huh, yeah, just grilled grilled chicken
0: yeah yeah so lots of good stuff i also like uh last time i went to i forget the name of it but last time i went to la coreta there was like a it was like a meal with like chicken and rice and just like they like had a piece of cheese just like melted on it i don't know yeah. what that's called but it was yeah, good i don't know there's
1: a good. few there's a few spots we gotta hit we gotta hit we gotta hit one of those cuban spots we definitely gotta hit a sergio's but you're gonna have to come i'm trying to think if there's a sergio's by campus ups. No yeah i guess no free shout outs okay that's fine
0: okay uh we'll get out of here on that appreciate everyone for listening this was a long one hopefully y'all enjoyed it we will see how this recruiting weekend plays out um you never know there can be twists and turns here in the last 72 hours of a recruiting decision and uh gabby will have updates on inside you.com with how all that goes so Uh, until next time season's right around the corner can't wait we're gonna get into game week mode here coming up with the miami bowl and uh so yeah until next time take care